to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our afraid knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You're listening to episode 75 with our friend Sarah Hall. And she is a new friend to both of us, but connected to a really longtime friend. She's married to a friend of mine I went to middle school and high school with, Charlie Hall, singer-songwriter, worship artist. Um, he is a great person to check into, like check out his music if you're wondering about that. Sarah and I reconnected at a 30th reunion in Putnam City North High School because Charlie and I were both there. And the Lord allowed us to have a little moment to connect and talk and to plan out that she would be on Afraid Not. I'm very grateful that God allowed this. And I'm so thankful for Sarah coming on our show today. Uh, Sarah talks about a lot of deep things today, and we I just so appreciated her honesty and her willingness to tell her true story. She is a counselor, so she deals a lot in trauma and psychology. She's also a yoga instructor. Um, and just to give a trigger warning, we do talk a bit about abuse, specifically sexual abuse. So um, it's a very honest conversation with a lot of uh, resources but I just want to make sure our audience is aware of that. So listen in. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate you taking time from the busy things going on in your world and your life. And we love having you today on Afraid Not. Would you introduce yourself <laughs> to our listeners and tell them a little bit about you and kind of a peek into your kind of your Give us the little elevator speech of who you are and <laughs> what makes your life happen. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, my name is Sarah Hall. I am going to be 45 in a couple of weeks, and I'm excited about that. Okay. I am married. I'm married to Charlie Hall. Um, so some of you may know who that is, and some of you may not. But either way, he's a wonderful and amazing worship artist and leader, um, kindly has this shepherd heart that just wants to bring other people up together. We have four children. Um, two of them are out of the house. Two of them are still in. And so that makes life very interesting and fun. I am a full-time counselor. Um, I do a lot of inner healing work, a lot of experiential therapy work with people to just kind of help identify early childhood wounds and deal with trauma. I also am a yoga instructor. Um, I teach Christ-centered yoga, meaning that we meditate and pray over scripture while we're moving our bodies and using breath. Um, traditionally set to music, again, that's worship that's going to pull you into a whole body, mind, spirit, soul worship activity with God. Um, let's see what else. I I love people. I love um, walking with people in the good and the bad and the hard and the ugly and being able to remind people of the goodness and the faithfulness and the hopefulness that God is. And so I get the gift of doing that day in and day out. So yeah, that's a little about me. <laughs> awesome. That's so great. Um, tell us a little bit about the, I was just, my ears perked up at that you concentrate on the inner healing. I just think that's such a need for so many people. So what, how did you arrive at um, using your gifts to help people do that? And what is that? What does that mean exactly? Sure. So I would tell people my story um, of coming to the Lord actually involved God coming to me as counselor first. And I say that because that was my reception of the way he met me, communicated with me and started a dialogue. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, I, I was 
where I was headed off to medical school, I found out I was pregnant and kind of my whole world did a 180. And I immediately felt like God was right there speaking. And his invitation to me was, hey, do you want to look back over your life and understand why you do what you do? Do you want to see um, where you've been harmed? Do you want to see what you believe? Do you want to understand this? And I think in that acceptance of that invitation, God just started taking me on a journey. And in that journey, there's all these things that obviously the creator of the universe uh, can fully do that we don't even know is possible. And yet we have maybe some language for it in the inner healing world or some language for it in the psychological world. And I felt like God just started taking me on these um what we would call maybe theophosic prayer, which is the idea of inviting people back into their early memories to give witness or invite God into it, that they would see God's perspective or presence in it. And I felt like the Lord was just consistently doing that with me in moments. And um, so, yeah, so it started kind of pouring out. You, you know, it happens for you. You're invited into it with the Lord and you can't help but start to see that other people need that too. And it overflows. Um, and so inner healing can vary, you know, I mean, it, the world of inner healing is obviously deep and wide, but a lot of what I tend to focus on is narrative or story work in the inner healing realm is to just start to begin to identify places um, truly where the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, truly where you've even made agreements um, with the enemy about things about yourself or about others. And so going back and undoing and letting the Lord kindly and graciously meet us there with what the truth is and who he is. Um, tends to be the work that I, you know, stay in and resonate in with people. I am mm. just enthralled with your words. I mean, I would love to just mm. come and be have a session with you. <laughs> You're amazing. Yeah. Well, come on. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> Albeit, I'm on a long wait right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you were, I know you just now alluded to it um, in telling us that, but. Would you say that uh, your faith walk began when you were just a little child? Or really, when did you first get to meet Jesus? Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So for sure, I grew up in a very chaotic, hectic environment. Um, My family was, there was addiction in my family. There were other things going on in my family. And so my world was very chaotic. I do remember points where I feel like God was probably trying to connect or put people around me to point to, but I had no capacity for understanding. To be really honest, I didn't know that Jesus was a real live human being until humanities in my, what I must've been 19 or 20 years old. I took a humanities class and he was in the history book and I went, Oh, it's not just a story. And I had, I had no concept of it. And then when I got pregnant, Um, I had had some touches. I I think moving to the Bible Belt, being from California, moving to Oklahoma, I was in the Air Force. I got stationed here. And um, culturally, people went out and partied all night and then went to church on Sunday. (laughs) And so I got scooped into a few of those, you know, moments with people where I was like at church. But I really had a very strong like, eh, that's not really for me. I'll take that piece. I like that piece. That one doesn't really work. So no relationship with the Lord whatsoever. And then when I got pregnant, like I said, I, I feel like his voice just became utterly clear to me. And it's like, I just, I had an encounter and I had a knowing that God was there and that it was bigger than me. And in his kindness, he was so gentle with taking me back over my story that now when I look back, of course, I can see the threads of his presence. But at the time, I was fully unaware, just kind of living my life and surviving to get through, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So do you think some growing up background, is that part of what brought you into being a counselor? Fully. I um, I always had been drawn towards healing. Um, since the time I was a little girl, I really, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to study the mind. I wanted to do neuro, um, neurosurgery or neuro care work, whatever it looked like. And so actually when I found out I was pregnant, I was about to leave for medical school and it really wanted my world. But kindly again, as God knows, what I really wanted to get after was this healing portion of the soul. And, um, you know, psychology, that root word is the study of the soul. And we've gotten away from that. We tend to focus on the mind, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
you know, that's what we're more comfortable with. But so I was, I was drawn to the healing of the soul, um, very young. I just didn't know yet what that looked like or what that would mean in God's definition or call for my life until I met him, of course. (laughs) Well, um, I would love for you to tell us about your story. You're afraid not what, you know, I'm afraid not. And just to lead in, with a little bit of fun background for our listeners. Um, I'm hoping that part of your story is going to involve how the Lord brought your husband, Charlie, into your life. But um, I just wanted to let our listeners know that it's so fun. I go back to probably about age 12, seventh grade, being in class with Charlie Hall, who Sarah is married to. So we have so many memories, seventh through 12th grade. We had many classes together, choir classes. We, um, one funny memory of, he ran for sophomore year secretary for the student body. And I did too. And we had this funny moment of waiting in the hall to find out, Oh, they're counting the votes. And it was so funny and awkward and like, "Eh." and and (laughs) Charlie won the election. And I was like, congratulations, Charlie. He was like, thanks. Yeah. And then he, he was, went on to do other, I think, um, student body fun things, but we had a lot of great, great making music with our friends and being show choir partners in ninth grade with this song. That's what friends are for. For real, that's and getting to share <laughs> senior year musical together. So, I mean, I loved watching the Lord get a hold of Charlie's life, our senior yeah. year, and having a front row seat to see what God did in him and how radically yeah. God changed Charlie. And so, the fact that now later I'm getting to talk to you, and that from a neat full circle, getting to to hear how God moved in your life, and then how He brought. Charlie, in your path. Yeah. I'm just, I love how good our father is. Yeah. So, yeah. Sarah, I kind of met you at a wedding a few weeks ago. Oh, you yes, I was saying, you look so familiar. <laughs> yeah. You and Charlie were standing behind me at the sign in, and I, and I would turn around and I was like, my daughter has been obsessed with Charlie Hall since she was little. I'm like, you. <laughs> yes, that was me. I love it. <laughs> I, I was like, well, when you popped up, I'm like, I feel like I know her, but I don't know from where. So I'll just, <laughs> wait it out that's great well at least we now know where we've met <laughs> um yeah so Charlie and I man what an interesting thing and 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 this is where I would pull everyone's attention back to just the sheer sovereignty and orchestration that God holds because Charlie was coming to the Lord at a time where I was not even aware of the Lord right like he was walking out his journey and Um, interestingly enough, when he was going through probably the hardest parts of his walk with the Lord and faith, like his world was kind of changing. Um, he was uh, having, you know, his sister had passed away and, um, his marriage was in trouble at the time and he's questioning and and fighting and wrestling with God. and, And simultaneously, I'm just coming to know the Lord. And, um, you know, God and his kindness and creativity, I, I was at, um, I was with Life Church for years. That was the first church I went to. It's where I learned all my Bible stories. It's where I learned to read the Bible and pay attention to the Bible. And there was a point when God had just kind of, there was this thing in my heart that I just felt this resistance to going. And I didn't understand why, because I loved all the people there. I loved my community. I enjoyed it. And yet I had this resistance. And so I've always learned in my life when something is not matching up head, heart, soul wise, it's, it's important to hold it out in front of God and be like, what, what's going on here? Cause I don't see it. I don't understand, but I sense it. And he was kind. And he just said, uh, you know, basically inviting me, like, I want you to look at some other churches and I was torn, but I, I was obedient. And so I, I went out one day and if you know me at all, you know, I'm super spontaneous and I really have a wholehearted faith that allows me to just I'll, I'll jump out and see what happens because I'm not too worried about failing as long as I feel like God's calling me there. So um, I was driving around and I was just going by churches and driving to places and looking around. And um, I ended up at a gas station filling up my tank and I ran into someone I hadn't seen in about four years. And I told them what I was doing because, you know, again, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm driving around, seeing where God wants me to start going to church. And they were like, oh, hey, we're at Frontline. 
which is downtown. And I was like, Oh, I've driven by that place before. That's interesting. Maybe I'll go down there. So I headed down, but they were already into their first service. So I went down the street and stopped at the coffee shop. And while I was there, about four or five more people walked in that again, I hadn't seen in years. And I was just telling them, Oh, I'm going to go to frontline. I'm going to go to the next service. I'm just waiting. They're like, Oh, we're all going there. You should go. And I was like, this is so great. Okay. <laughs> so we went and honestly, I had a hard time initially. My first service there was, uh, I just was coming from Life Church and coming into Josh Curry, who is a very strong, powerful, direct speaker. And there was a lot of conviction that he was calling out that felt uncomfortable to me at that point. But I left and I was like, Lord, I don't know. And I just really felt God say, Hey, I need you to trust me. Like I have you here for a good reason. And you're going to learn from this man, the parts of you that don't want to be as direct and be as truthful at that point in my life. He's like, you need to develop those. And this is a person who could teach that to you. And so I jumped in and simultaneously, Charlie was just kind of coming back around to joining a church family. And he ended up at Frontline as well. Now, at that point, we just kind of passed each other. We knew each other. I was serving at the church. He was serving at the church. So we had some interactions, but it would be another probably four, five years um, before anything would ever occur. And God just kind of brought our attention to each other. And, and then to be real honest, it was a long journey uh, until we could date. And so it is one of the afraid not stories in my life, but it's also such a beautiful God was really trying to heal some things in Charlie and myself. We basically became friends, had hopes of dating and ended up having to take an eight month break um, due to some circumstances we couldn't control. And so we stepped back, but it was so difficult and hard. And yet I feel like God was meeting me and some uh, wounds that I had that unfortunately, if they were not seen or met by God, I would have carried them into my relationship and potentially self-sabotage, you know, like we all do. I mean, we, um, we can unpack this, but yeah. So I think in the kindness of that really dark, really hard, really painful season, um, God was redeeming an agreement that I had made with the enemy as a little girl that no one was going to fight for me and no one was going to protect me and that I was going to have to do it by myself. And in this eight months, the Lord was just reminding me and drawing me to like, I will actually fight for you you need only to be still, you know? And so I watched God move on my behalf, but it was torturous. And um, Charlie's version, I think he would say the same thing. There was some fears and some insecurities and some brokenness coming out of a a previous marriage that didn't work out um, that he had coming in. And God was really working on those over that eight months that we couldn't speak and we couldn't connect. And so when when the time was right, which we didn't know was going to come. I mean, I think that was the hardest thing of those eight months is neither one of us knew that we were going to get to be together. Uh, We were just hoping and waiting. And God did that and brought us back together. And then we were able to, you know, date and get engaged and get married. And here we are. So we've been married five years now. But yeah, it's, you know, again and again, I think if we realize how much God is for us and working on it, like I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through the struggle and the pain of that moment. But I look back on it with such goodness and kindness because I know God was doing something for me that I didn't even know to ask to be done so that my marriage could be healthy and and, and good now. I love what you said about God was healing things in your hearts individually in his perfect timing. And it was not the timing you would have chosen. It wasn't what you would have thought would be the perfect plan. But I feel like that's so where our listeners might be able, can, can connect with what you're saying. So many of us, and maybe you're listening today, a listener, and you're just thinking, I am in a train wreck. There's no way God can make this work. There is no way he can redeem this. But listening to Sarah's story reminds us, His perfect timing is not ours. (laughs) And he has a way of turning things, redeeming things that were horrible and turning them into beautiful things. It's a great example. I mean. Yeah. And the timing of waiting is miserable. It can be miserable. Yes. Yes. And and the pain, yeah, and the pain of all the lies that we believe in the midst of that darkness, right? Like when, when we feel like God 
uh, has failed us or disappointed us or left us. And we feel so heavy anyway. And then we assume God's not doing anything, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. where we all can go pretty easily. The profoundness of remembering that God is faithful. Like he's so faithful. He's so for you. And and I look back on that moment and much like I tell clients all the time, I'm like, if I were God, I don't know that I would have sent Jesus to the cross. That doesn't make sense to my humanness. But in God's goodness, he knew that was part of the story and he used it for goodness. And can we remember then in our own stories when things are not making sense, when they are not adding up, when they feel crazy and chaotic and restless. Can we remember the God who knows so much and who cares so much that he is willing to let the pain settle for a little while because he knows that he can do something profoundly um, just freeing and beautiful and miraculous through it. Mm. And I think I, I needed that season. I, I don't like it. I won't, I still get teary because I still feel the depth of pain I had there, but I, I'm so profoundly grateful because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have opted for that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have went that way. Mm -hmm. Will you talk a little bit more about identifying the lies that you had agreed with? And you said, you know, you recognize the enemy had told me I could never depend Mm -hmm. on anyone. The enemy had told me I would never have anyone stay with me or the examples you gave. Will you unpack that a little bit and help our listeners walk through how can we recognize the lies that we've believed, even from young, young years? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have to be willing to look back first and foremost. And naturally, um, uh, most of us feel protective of that. Most of us feel resistance towards that because we'll go, well, we, I had a good childhood. It's fine. There's nothing to see here. You know, my parents weren't crazy. It's fine. And and the reality is we live in a, a broken world and the enemy is prowling. And I do believe that when we're children, um, we don't have the faculty of the capacity to deal with the things that come at us of harm, of pain, of neglect, of disappointment. And yet the enemy is always going to be waiting to offer you a conclusion to identify with in that moment. And so for me, and, and my story is pretty... I I do have a traumatic story, but I tell people all the time, it didn't have to come in trauma. The the enemy's alluring voice does not have to come in trauma. And for me, for instance, I was in a very traumatic situation where I deeply and desperately needed the adults around me to protect me. And they were not. And I was really being asked to sacrifice myself. And there was such pain and such sadness for me as a child that no one was protecting me and no one would step up that the only thing I could do with that pain was just make an agreement so that I no longer would need that from anybody. And so then I would no longer be hurt by it when they didn't show up with it. You know, you, you build a wall around it. And so we all kind of do that. We do it in many ways. And for instance, like mine being very dramatic, I have a friend who, for instance, was riding her bike one day down the hill, crashed and busted her face. And her dad, when he came and responded because of his own unresolved emotional issues, yelled at her and got so angry, not probably at her, but at the situation he couldn't control. But in her mind, Immediately, there was this agreement of, oh, my gosh, if I mess up or do something wrong, my dad is going to be mad and not love me anymore. And that's the start. And, and, and you know, it feels <laughs> good. You're not being you not being protected. Did that have to do with the addiction that you're talking about? Um, so it, it was a lot, really. It, what had primarily happened, and just to go to the story, so it's a little bit deep, and I don't want to trigger anyone in hearing it. So um, I was abused by um, a, a gentleman that my mom had been dating that um, really was a father figure to me. And uh, he had groomed me in this night and molested me. And once it finally came out, I was asked to go in and identify him in court, which I did. And I told my story and we went home and we were waiting a couple of weeks till the trial. Cause they obviously had it really fast because of the nature of the situation. And, um, between this time, a few days into this, I had come home and my mom had been, uh, 
brutally attacked and, and beaten. And so she sat me down and told me that I needed to go back into the courthouse and tell them that I lied about what happened. And so it was, um, you know, again, so much confusion. I'm, I'm a child. I'm probably eight years old and not understanding fully what's going on, but obviously our lives were in danger. There was a threat made. And, um, so I was being asked to go in and kind of, you know, take responsibility for something that just did not belong to me and did not belong on me. Um, and I'm sure to this day, I'm like, I can't even imagine that anyone in that courtroom believed that I was lying. (laughs) There's no way you, you could see it. But, um, obviously in that moment, that was a big, painful, terrible, uh, disappointing, confusing moment for me as a child. And, and the enemy was right there. Of course he was waiting to tell me, Hey, no one is safe. No one is going to fight for you. No one is going to protect you. And when I fast forwarded into God revealing this part of the story to me, I mean, it really was the moment of, um, here we were in the situation where, uh, with, with Charlie, where I was being accused of something that wasn't at all something that I was doing or involved in. It just felt like this. It felt literally as a trigger moment for my body and for my mind remembering. I literally felt like I was back in that moment as an eight-year-old. And I was devastated. And I was so hurt by God. And I didn't know what to do with that information. And um, a mentor, a spiritual director of mine said, hey, you keep saying this like, could you just hold your hands out and ask God what is going on? Because this emotional response for the circumstances isn't, they're, they're not together. They're definitely out, out of range of each other. So there's something here that you need to see. And I did. And God really literally like froze my room and drew me back into that memory of standing in the courtroom. And the goodness of God is this, that in that memory, he did not leave me in that, but he came to me with three scriptures afterwards. And I'm not I love scripture. I try to memorize scripture, but I am not that girl that's going to be like, hey, here's that scripture. Let me just rattle it off to you. But God gave me um, scripture that said, rejoice not over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I will rise. The Lord will be the light unto my feet. And I don't exactly remember the reference. I just remember those words. (laughs) Um, And then he gave me, I will show you the hidden treasures of darkness. I will show you the secret things. And I felt like when he said that to me, he was saying, hey, I'm allowing this moment currently now to happen because you need to see the agreement you made when you were eight. So I'm taking this moment to actually heal you and reveal something to you. And I know it feels really painful and really hard and really scary. Um, But I need to show you these things because it will free you going forward. And then the last one he gave me was Exodus 14, 14, which is I will fight for you. You need only to be silent. Um. So, yeah, and, and yeah, you know, in this story is like, I think we all have these little places and we're so unaware of them because they're so subconscious and believe it or not, our subconscious is built so strong and so great by the Lord that it does, it resists change. It wants efficiency. Your subconscious wants to be able to respond and survive and get through things over and over. And so, man, trying to change the subconscious is, is work and it takes God literally revealing something to you to go back and see, and then the transformation of the mind starts to occur. That's so beautiful. As far as agreement, when you say agreement, you just kind of mean you were believing these things the enemy was telling you. Yeah. And, and I think in some spiritual realms, like I'll, I'll say there's um, Adam Young has this podcast called uh, The Place We Find Ourselves. And he does a brilliant job of breaking down agreement from both a psychological and theological standpoint. And it's called, I think it's called warfare, the series uh, in it. Cause he has a lot of, a lot of podcasts, obviously, but it's, it's a warfare one and there's nine of them. And it literally breaks down more in a theological sense, what is happening and what we're doing when we start to make agreements with the enemy, because they become subconscious thoughts that we filter everything else through. And we don't know we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. This just goes hand in hand with the scripture that our listeners may have heard this many times over over and over in their lives, but it just goes hand in hand with Ephesians 6, that um, the, the scripture encourages every believer and commands us to put on our spiritual armor. And 
we have a real enemy and he is lying and he is stealing and he is trying to destroy our lives. So our spiritual armor of putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace and our sword of the spirit and the word of God. You know, we, that sword of the spirit is the word of God. We have, because of the goodness of God and what you're saying goes hand in hand with it, we can fight back. We do not have to be helpless against an enemy because we have a warrior. Jesus, who is our victor. So, I mean, some of you listeners may be feeling like you're caught in discouragement and like, how could you ever get out? But the lies the enemy has told you, you don't have to keep believing them. And what Sarah is saying is hard work. But if we're willing to do the hard work to go into our, where we've been hurt or where that pain is kind of locked away, if we're willing then there's freedom. There's freedom and victory. And um, there is no reason to stay feeling helpless because we have a victor and his name is Jesus. Amen. And remembering that, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. Remembering, uh, you know, and I say this with a lot of grace for people, it's a practice. It's not a one and done. It's something you're going to have to walk out your whole life. And the kindness of God is back to timing. He has a timing when he wants to reveal the things that he's ready to heal in you. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. But with grace, you can accept, like, I have a story somewhere. And there are places where the enemy has tried to take ground in my life. And God is kind at teaching us, equipping us to even use the armor. Because so often we don't even know where to begin. And the other thing I would always say is bring someone with you, man, if you have a trusted friend or a trusted, if you do have a counselor, great. But even if you just have a trusted friend who loves the Lord, let them walk with you while you explore those, those pieces, those parts, because God is victorious and he also cares about you feeling comforted in the midst of that process. So he wants to bring people around that are going to help you and point you back. Yeah. I do think it's important though, to understand the subconscious and the psychology of trauma. Yeah. I mean, we need to know spiritually and scripturally, but I think the subconscious part of it is vital as well. Um, yeah. Kind of what you were talking about made me think about the body keeps the score. Yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we remember these. I mean, like somewhere in our body, it's remembered. And um, I'm right now I'm, reading um what happened to you mm-hmm. and just talk and they talk a lot about childhood trauma and how that stays somewhere all yeah. everywhere all the time if we don't deal with it but like I said, we can only deal with it in God's timing yes and the main thing you know I'll, I'll I'll tell this to everyone over and over and over again is the biggest gift out of being willing to do that work is learning to have compassion on yourself. Um, Because one of the places that keeps us stuck in those agreements our whole life is shame. And we look back and we um, project our, uh, onto our little self, our children, you know, our young us, if you will, we project onto them ideas and knowledge that we have as adults that they were not privy to as a child. And so we can shame the way they responded to circumstances and we can shame the way that they handled or survived uh, whatever struggle, trauma, or deficit they were experiencing. And instead of loving them and being compassionate and healing with them, we tend to then further alienate that part of us, which continues to perpetuate the agreements, which continues to perpetuate the struggle and the anxiety. Um, And there's so much buried there. But I think the Body Keeps the Score does a great job of of bringing to life the reality that um, God did make our bodies super efficient to survive. And there are some beautiful and amazing things that we do to get through our childhoods. And yet those skills are not sustainable once we meet adulthood. They're no longer necessary and they're no longer effective, but we don't always know that. (laughs) So our bodies are going off on their own uh, tangent off of response and subconscious 
And um, yet there's an invitation to presence and invitation to being in this moment and learning and identifying and pausing and um, letting God reframe the whole situation so that we're not activated back into what was learned as a child. That's good. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, again, I just, and I know you guys probably say this and believe this, but who anybody is listening right now, I need you to know God wins every time. So this is not it it can feel overwhelming when we start to think about all the places in our childhood that we felt left or failed or disappointed and someone didn't comfort us or didn't meet us. And we've made these agreements and what are we going to do? You know, it can feel overwhelming, but let me tell you, like God wins and he finishes what he starts. And for me, that story was a 30 year difference between the time I was eight to the time I was 38 until God brought that to life. But when he brought it to life, boy, did he heal it? And boy, did he turn me around in a way that makes me far more compassionate, effective, loving, and um, healthy as a human being. And he knew, he knew the exact moment I needed that. Did that also help heal some wounds between you and your mother? Did it bring some forgiveness or some understanding? Yeah. And it has on very level. So like I said, I had a pretty traumatic childhood. So I work through stories like this pretty consistently uh, in my work, in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The interesting thing for me, to be real honest, is that I didn't hold my mom accountable for anything. I uh, definitely went to the other side of survivor, not victim. And so I had no blame for anyone. And that was part of the work I had to do was to go back and have the courage to name the harm that was done to me. Um, in order that I could deal with it. Because as long as I wouldn't name it and wouldn't blame, I couldn't face authentically what I experienced because I was dismissing it because I just needed to survive it and get through it. So right. there's been a lot of healing in, in with me and my mother over the years, of course, but it, it's definitely on the other edge of things than what would be traditional. <laughs> so if someone is kind of in that place where they're, starting to remember things or they're starting to realize that they're reacting to things in a way that doesn't work for them anymore. As a counselor, do you have strategies you would suggest for them? Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I think number one, again, the best thing we can do, step one is have so much compassion and curiosity for why you did it that way or how you came about that you know, that behavior or that pattern or believing or agreeing to that lie. Because if we can do that, it softens us enough to see ourselves and want to integrate back to a piece of ourselves that maybe for a long time we've been cutting off, shaming or dismissing. So, but, and and then realize you're not going to know all the perfect steps. God is super gracious and kind to help you with it. A lot of this, like, God help. I don't know what I'm doing. I see this and I don't know how to respond to this is super great. And God is super kind and then invite other people in. I mean, I can't say enough about community and trusted community here. I know for myself, I still have an example I can give. It's like, there'll be mornings when I wake up and I have the heaviness on my heart that I don't understand. I I, I'm looking around my life and I'm not seeing any real reason that my heart should feel so heavy. And what I've learned is to go, okay, this is like a a, a light on my dashboard. Something's off and I don't know what it is. Most of the time we want to just go into our skills of override against survival. So I'm just going to cope with this. However, I've learned to cope, but I've learned to pause and to go, okay, God, I feel all of this today and I have no idea why can you bring revelation to me? Can you show me why I am feeling this way today? Because I don't understand it and I don't know what to do with it, but I don't want to bypass it, ignore it, push it down or move on. I, I want to engage that it's here. And what I found is there was one morning I, I vividly remember doing this and I woke up and it was just heavy. I was in the middle of a season where I was having to make a really big, brave choice and, um, I was making it, I was doing it, but I think subconsciously I was kind of having some things go on and I woke up and I 
was praying this prayer, sitting on the couch. I confessed to my husband, like, I don't know what's happening. I'm feeling a lot today. I don't know what it is. Would you pray for me too? And he prayed. And then I sat on the couch and um, a few minutes later, I saw our 10 year old daughter walking up the stairs. And again, God showed me like, Hey, um, when you were 10, you would sit in your room and be scared at night because you thought this person that, that I had to let out of jail, um, was going to come back and harm you. And I remember sitting in my room alone, uh, thinking he's going to, he's in the roof, he's climbing around and I wasn't allowed to go into my parents' room. And my older brother was in the room next door and I would sneak into his bed as quiet as I could and try to lay next to him just to have somebody there, somebody comforting me in my fear. And he would get so mad at me because he was a teenage boy and he's like, get out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and send me back to my room. And God was showing me this moment and just reminding me like, Hey, you've learned again in your fear that you have to self-soothe, that no one's going to comfort you, that no one's going to be there for you in your, in your, uh, in your scaredness, in your fear. And so what you're feeling today is you're afraid. You've made a big decision. You've made a big choice and you're afraid and you feel alone in that decision. And I just want to comfort you today. And so I let myself cry for that little girl that didn't have anybody. And I, I let myself have compassion for the way she tried to handle it. And then I invited this newness of like, well, now I want to try it with God comforting me instead of me trying to comfort me. Mm. And got to move through my day totally differently you know, but again, it's, it's a lot of practice. I didn't arrive at that ability. Uh, you know, it's just being willing each day to go, man, when things feel off, instead of trying to cope with them or manage them myself, I would desperately like to ask the creator of the universe who knows and sees everything, what his thoughts and feelings are about this. <laughs> Cause I need help. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> you know? I really like your comparison of seeing it as if it's a light on the dashboard of my car saying, check the engine. I can really relate to that and how if we were to, in our real car, choose to keep driving and never check the engine and never notice the change of the oil blink or never fix the whatever's going on with the tires, we are bound for real car trouble that's, that's got, it's going to be a pretty scary could be really bad. But if we just stop and go get help from someone who knows how to help us with that issue in our car, it can completely change the situation. And I know it is easier sometimes to keep just ignoring the flashing light, but it's so much wiser to stop and notice it and investigate and like, and like you said, ask the Lord, show me what's happening in my heart. Why do I feel this way? Why do I have a blinking light going on my dashboard? So I really yeah. relate to that. <laughs> I've heard somebody say like feelings really only last about 90 seconds when they come, but the anxiety that we get from that feeling kind of exacerbates it and makes it keep going. And if we will just kind of stop and go, hello, anxiety, why are you here? Like what is happening? What, what are you trying to tell me? Or, and then asking God, why, why is this feeling? Like you said, why is this feeling here? What is this telling me? Instead yeah. of panicking and just making it feel worse. Yeah. 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 And so much of that is the revelation that most of us, again, haven't learned or been comforted in all of the emotions. And so what I mean by that is we don't have or didn't have experiences with our parents that allowed them to move towards us and actually help comfort and relieve those emotions. Um, and some families, for instance, anger was the only acceptable emotion. That's what brought relief or that's what brought everything to a head, if you will. Um, but most people haven't been or learned how to be comforted in deeper, bigger, broader feelings. And so I think even in what you're saying, it's like, as those feelings come up, if we can approach them with a sense of compassion and curiosity, instead of shame and fear, Right. We're going to move through and be able to deal with that emotion. And, and the word itself, when you think of emotion, the word itself says you have to move through. And feelings, you have to feel in order for them to go away. And so these are the things of being, having or developing, practicing, um, expanding your ability to sit in those emotions or feelings without shame and without fear and without panic. And that's a skill that it just, it takes a lot of practice. 
but we have to be kind in the way we practice it. We have to be careful with ourselves. Um, and, and that's the way God is. So, you know, he's, he's never going to come to you in your big emotions and tell you you're too much or tell you that's not the right way to do this or shut it down or move to a different emotion. He's going to move towards you with touch. He's going to move towards you with listening and he's going to move towards you with relief. And none of us, we don't get a lot of that in this life. You know, we don't know what that means uh, for all the things we feel. Hmm. I, I bet there are people like me, they're thinking, I wish I could go to your yoga class. <laughs> so fun and so soothing. I could just feel like, ah, so if somebody really does want to find your yoga class. How could they find it? Where would they find you? Yeah. So the best thing to do is probably just follow me on social media and mainly because that's the easiest way to promote anything these days, as we all know. Um, but I'm not teaching at a studio currently like a weekly class, mainly because I stepped out when COVID happened because there's a lot of teachers that that's their primary income. And I didn't want to take a class from someone when I have another income. You know, it just didn't weigh out to me. So I stepped back from that, but I do host them in my backyard on occasions. I have a beautiful, great backyard in Mesta Park. And then um, I also will teach sometimes at the well in Edmond, which is just this little, um, it's like a wellness center facility and they let me teach classes in there. So if you follow me on social media, I usually post um, several weeks out from any classes that I'm going to host. I also lead retreats and the retreats will incorporate both the yoga and the inner healing and the group therapy kind of concept. And so uh, I just got back from one. Actually, I was in Tucson last week and um, it was beautiful and amazing. Um, but so I kind of get, get the, best, the best of both worlds. <laughs> Yoga is actually a therapy and used in psychology in a lot of big ways these days. And I get to kind of incorporate that in with some of the inner healing and some of the experiential therapy. So um, yeah, just follow me on social media. I'm Sarah, Sarah Dawn Hall on Instagram and Sarah Hall on Facebook. Um, yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Those, that sounds like a great resource our listeners should check out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in their retreats. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're, they really we are. No, <laughs> we should go. That'd be so fun. I know. <laughs> you guys could go and you could do a podcast from retreat. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It would be fun. Um, yeah. So, and unfortunately, again, this was the first one since COVID hit that we've done. Uh, so it was really nice to kind of be back in the swing of it. (laughs) For sure. We will include in our show notes today, all of the references you've mentioned and the books titles that we've talked about and the scriptures you've mentioned. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about that would be a great book to buy or a podcast to check out or resources that would help them in this journey for themselves. Yeah. I mean, there are so many, honestly, I could give you lists and lists and lists, but I would say uh, first and foremost, if you have not read the body keeps the score and you are noticing that you are an anxious person or you struggle with any depression or you even struggle with physical body pain, this would be a great book to pick up to start to get an inner look at what might be going on underneath the surface in the soul level, in the mind level, in the body level. Um, Another great book for marriages, and me and my husband are going through this again to do it. I use it a lot in counseling is How We Love. Um, And I always mispronounce the author's name, so I will have to send it to you later. Um, But it's a great, it's, yeah, it's a great book to jump into Um, identifying in your relationship, how these early childhood patterns and and learned behaviors and even attachment theories are affecting you and why we get stuck in arguments and conversations with our spouses. Um, That one's really great. And then, um, you know, a good one that I love is try softer. Um, This book is great for those people in life that are um, really, just striving all the time or feel burdened all the time or feel like I can't do anything right. Um, this is a great book to kind of take you back to again, realizing what even motivates you to try harder and why we need to invite trying softer again, the compassion element, the kindness element and my favorite podcast as far as therapy go are, I love the Allender center. They do a lot of really good work. 
Um, and they're, they're just great at identifying things and helping dig through topics in really deep ways and meaningful ways. And then I do love the place we find ourselves with Adam Young. He's, it's brilliantly scripted and you just can learn so much from listening. And there's a hundred different topics that he's covered and a hundred different things that he's gone into. But it's, um, it's really great if you just want to start the introspective path, if you have not yet looked back on your story or even begun to enter into seeing, you know, what's back there, what's in your childhood. Um, this is a great, put your toe in the water and start learning about it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are great resources. And we will. Yeah, thank you. Show notes for sure. Great. So we just want to tell you thank you so much for your words of wisdom, for your gentle and kind spirit, for your encouragement, and the great message. One of the things I'm just hearing you say: God wins. You can trust Him. I love it. I just am thankful yeah. for you. I'm glad that um, at the 30th reunion of Putnam City North High School that I got to hang out with you and Charlie a minute and make this plan happen. That was perfect. So thank you. That's divine timing and appointment. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. I love it. I love it. I think it's so great. And thank you guys for having me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you listeners for being here today and for checking out this episode of our conversation with Sarah Hall. We're so grateful to Sarah and I felt like the words of wisdom that she shared were a treasure trove. I mean, I could listen to this episode twice more in a row and still be taking notes. So I just really am grateful for those great tips she gave us of dealing with life and pain. And I loved many of the scriptures she referenced and especially Exodus 14 14 which says the Lord will fight for you you need only to be still so listeners you may need to just hear that today the Lord will fight for you he is for you and he wins I took so many notes today <laughs> there are so many good resources so please make sure to check out the books and podcasts that she mentioned look for her on social media We will also have those linked in the show notes. Um, And some of the points that she made that I wanted to reiterate was to have compassion and curiosity uh, for why you're doing certain things. You're not going to know all the steps and that's okay. You'll get them as you go. Invite people in, have a community and ask for revelation. Why is this feeling here? What is God trying to tell me through this? So, those are great points and like robin said you can listen to this one several times and get something new out of it so make sure to remember to rate review and subscribe and we will see you back again in a couple weeks bye everybody